Welcome to The Recap, part of Pastoring Out Loud, where we recap the previous week's sermon coming to you on this Zoom edition of The Recap. I'm here in my office, and Rick Shank, who preached this previous week, is not in my office, but he's in his office at your house. I'm here. I'm here. Great, great. Well, Rick, you preached on Genesis 49 a text about how to get ready to die. A couple weeks ago, you and I met at Panera and had a conversation about Genesis 49 because I was originally slotted to preach. And then lo and behold, God said no. Surprise. God said no by saying yes to uh, our little baby Gwen being born. And you were on deck and ready to preach, which we are grateful for. Um, I'm glad I could cover Great. And so this completely different kind of sermon from what I was planning on preaching, because there was nothing similar at all. About you know, our outlines were different, but, you know, I was encouraged when we met the 10 days prior that our exegetical outlines were very parallel. Yeah. Yeah, they were. I think a couple of the things that were, that stood out uh, that were the same on our outlines were Highlighting the pronoun shift, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Um, highlighting, you know, that Dan is likened to a serpent, um, a seraph, uh, as it were, seraph, however the it says it in Hebrew, unlike anything else that's really happened in Genesis until, I mean, really right. since chapter three. Um, and so noting the eschatological significance of that, I've got the outline here. I know based on the last time that you'd rather me go through the outline. So I'm going to do that, Rick. And then I will Sounds good. pose a handful of questions and press you for your interpretations of a handful of things that perhaps I would have emphasized that uh, you went to other places, which is great. So, And I, I want to hear you talk a little bit about your observation in numbers, which I enjoyed, but didn't have time for. Yeah, I will talk about numbers. So first, you talked about being gathered to his people. How should we get ready to die? So speaking very specifically about the mentions of gathering, gathered around uh, Jacob's bed, and then Jacob being gathered to his fathers, uh, kind of a euphemism there for burial. And you talked about walking towards death, uh, where he went through some of the uh, sons of Israel and sons of Jacob and what kind of their outcomes were in various places uh, in their lives and kind of where uh, Dan being, although you went there more towards the end, certainly, but the contrast of all these various ones, Simeon and Levi and Reuben and Judah and Joseph and some of the outcomes through this prophetic word, this oracle uh, that Jacob was speaking. And then you talked about the meaning of death. Uh, waiting and hoping for Jesus, kind of the contrast there with Dan waiting for salvation. You went forward then to Luke two. You went forward to Revelation seven. Um, you you know talked about the significance of the cave at Bechpella. You did not go to Hebrews eleven uh, or uh, Acts seven or other places where cave of Machpella is explicitly or implicitly mentioned. Um, you went to other places, two more, but, two more hours and I could have made it. You know, into there. It's fine. You were not over time at all. You, you were over time. Right? Really? It's fine. I, well, thought I think I that's what the red letters meant. On okay. Hey, I got to learn to read the sign. It's all right. It's all right. We'll let you preach again. Probably. 
So uh, talk to me a little bit more about uh, just, you know, kind of your arresting initial thing where you were, uh, you were showing us a picture of what on the screen? Yeah, I studied in Wales and uh, one of my good friends, Steve, Anglican pastor, priest, had well as as they all do <clears throat> his church building is situated right in the middle of a graveyard and there's no way into the church unless you go through the graveyard very normal in england not universal but very normal and especially when you get out in the country uh, and away from the inner city so that it just it just struck me as a fitting reminder to us uh, visually of what this text is doing for us uh, it's impossible to understand, I wait for your salvation, O Lord, unless you've entered through the graveyard, which is really what this whole text in Genesis is doing. Uh, the whole last five chapters are about the death of Jacob and Joseph, interestingly, a tenth of Genesis. Okay. Wow. So the, uh, yeah, your comment, a tithe of Genesis is a about tithe. death. Uh, was very interesting. Um, yeah, there was uh, uh, a number of different things that you did throughout, um, you know, just uh, pointing to life on the other side of death as, or, you know, perhaps we would say in a cruciform sort of way, uh, glory on the other side of suffering. Um, talk a little bit more about uh, what you saw in the first six sons of Jacob and maybe, you know, uh, however briefly, we don't take a lot of time on these recaps, but however briefly talk about the, anything that was interesting about the last six sons. If you had time to do some initial thoughts there without, uh, uh, going too far into it. Yeah, that's, it's a, it's a right question. I'm, I'm not sure how much more I have to offer at this point than the sermon. And I, I hate to double down on that. The that interesting contrast between six sons of Leah and listing yep. them all first, not necessarily in order of birth, um, actually diverging from that in the last two. Um, and then the last six are really uh a seventh band who comes in the middle, followed by six others now you read you see only five but of course joseph who gets the longest section here um we already know from the prior chapter is representing two of those sons uh, his two sons have been adopted uh, as bruce reminded us when he preached chapter 48 and the lists most not all but the lists that will follow throughout the bible <clears throat> often and usually include those two sons uh, often uh, leaving out uh, <clears throat> Levi, but yeah, putting those two in. So uh, what's happening in part is Jacob, uh, Israel, is helping us see this this contrast. And by putting Dan in the middle, uh, he's really begging a question, especially uh, given his reference to Dan effectively as a bad judge, you know, a serpent. And when we see that he sits more as a 
centerpiece uh, to make a point than one of the list uh, that makes this list to me have a very interesting texture. Hmm. Talk a little bit about, so I'm going to just touch on four things I think here real quick that, um, you know, perhaps we talked about in our initial conversation, you spent maybe a little bit of time on or just kind of went over uh, briefly. So in the first verse, you know, what will happen in latter days or in end times, the end time is sometimes translated. Um, is it appropriate to say that this is a text, an eschatological kind of text, end times kind of text? Or is, I mean, the Hebrew, uh, this phrase is sometimes translated, you know, what will happen later on? Or what will take place mm-hmm. later, but certainly the you know the uh, the language and numbers takes up end time language, and then you know the that's Balaam's oracle, uh, most specifically in Numbers twenty four uh, about the about I think ultimately Judah and a ruler that will come from Judah. But then that language of end times happens again in like Daniel. Certainly, the New Testament authors take it up. Is it appropriate to see this text in Genesis 49 in line with all of those things, or is that an overstatement? No, I, I think I think it is a precise statement. Um, you know, we agree on this. Um, you see this, and, and I with you, uh, tying right into Revelation, but tying also into the gospel account. Right. So, you know, chiastically in the center, he's looking at Jesus but throughout the whole thing, he's looking at where God's whole project is going, if you will. So yes and amen to everything you're saying and implying. I'm I'm with you. In fact, this is the first human oracle. Yeah. So God speaks about the future, but there's no time in scripture. And quite interesting that happens in the first division of the first book, counting the the, the five books of Moses is effectively one book with five divisions, um, you know, <clears throat> happening here at the end of that. And we have this first human prophetic oracle. And it does point eschatologically uh, <clears throat> toward Christ's first coming and second. So Judah, who in my outline, you know, our exegetical outlines were similar, our homiletical outlines different. You know, my outline, I landed on Judah. And one thing that you didn't touch on, um, you know, this verse is eight through 12 of Genesis 49, uh, the end, the last three verses are, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, till tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So not, uh, you know, not only the obedience of your brothers, you know, kind of the blessing given to Joseph, given to him, but the nations. And then these two interesting verses, binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Kind of a striking image. What do you think that's about? And I, I know you and I talked about this and I, you know, I've certainly thought about it some, but just, you know, Rick, what's your take on those two verses? I'm going to give a short answer that I can't justify with the time we have here. But then I want to hear yours. I'd like I'd like you to expand a little bit on this. My short answer is he's positioning Judah, and therefore Christ, uh, and we all see that uh, he's he's setting up Judah as the the redeemer, as the Christ. What he's showing is 
that Judah, Christ, and the land um, share a common point of biblical interpretation. And so these images binding foal to the vine, donkey's colt to the choice vine, washed in wine, blood of grapes, um, not only does it make us wonder to in what way does this relate to Christ and his sacrifice, but more at first, more nearer term, um, he's talking about the land, which is where every, you know, the, that which will satisfy us is in the land of promise. Right. But Jesus is that land of promise. And so I think he's showing us not only is Jesus the one who reigns, but he is the satisfying land. And Judah, Jesus, by holding him up through Judah. But again, I, in the time we have, uh, I, I can't wholly justify that, but that's my direction. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a picture of uh, an eschatological picture of what this ruler will be like, and yeah, what will right. take what will take place is a measure of you know on the other side of the cave of Machpelah, on the other side of burial in the land, a picture of fruitfulness in the land that is beyond all compare. Because you don't that's right you don't throw your full around the the vine of a you know that's just unheard of you don't uh you know place your donkey around a you know grape uh vine um you place it around a post outside the town you do something like that so this picture then of an overabundance of wine where wine is like what you wash stuff in and yes. uh wine is just so overflowing with eyes that are darker than wine and yet teeth whiter than milk, which is not what somebody who drinks a lot of wine, what their teeth look like um, is a, is a strange paradoxical picture. I think of uh, an utterly incomprehensible abundance, uh, fruitful, perfection. abundance, yeah. perfection uh, that's going to yep. spring out of Judah's rule. Um, and not and, just out of his rule. I think again, he's, He's anticipating the land of milk and honey. He's anticipating yeah. wholly satisfied. I mean, if we can think of our Bethlehem roots, uh, you know, that that eternal deep satisfaction in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So third question or third observation, just maybe talk about actually, I'm gonna pose this to you. Do you so if we just took all of the previous chapter, you know, Genesis 48 that Bruce preached on. Seemingly placing the blessing of the firstborn on Ephraim. And in this chapter, still a significant portion, as you mentioned, five times the word blessing is mentioned on Joseph, not any of the other brothers. And here, Judah apparently has his brothers bowing down before him, even including Joseph, you know, uh, and he's the one where rule is going to come from. Uh, is there a way that we somehow can divide out the blessing of the firstborn? Is it important or how would you, you know, talk through the blessing of the firstborn? Uh, you know, because certainly the line of Messiah, which we have tracked to some degree is coming through Judah. And yet uh, Joseph is deeply blessed here as well. How would you talk about that in, in between these two, between Judah and Joseph in light of this text, who gets the blessing of the firstborn? Is there some kind of attendant blessing for the other person? How would you, how would you delineate those two? Boy, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm pausing, Daniel, because there's a 
lot of ways to approach this. I want to say first, not quite your question. Firstborn isn't a physical thing. Romans nine. Right. Um, Just like circumcision isn't a physical thing. um, You know, this is, this is an idea where to whom and how God gives any blessing. He's never constrained by the usual course of tradition. Um, You didn't ask why Judah and not Reuben, but I'm answering that question first. Right. Then how so Judah and Joseph and how are they related? I would say that it served God to bless Joseph um, as the favored son. And he continues to have God's favor, but God eternally, sovereignly chooses to give to Judah the unique blessing of the firstborn. So what we see with Joseph, I believe, is is the, a kind of favoritism, God's and and Israel's, that accomplishes God's promises and accomplishes God's purposes. And so he's free to bless whoever he wants to bless uh, because it will be effective for him. Uh, you know, the Psalm 23, you know, I I am provided for by God for his namesake. Um, you know, that sense that whether I'm blessed or rather life is tough, um, this is what serves God. So I'm saying the firstborn goes with Judah. <clears throat> Something different goes to Joseph, not the firstborn blessing, but a, a blessing that serves the circumstances to bring God glory. And that places Joseph, even when he's in prison, which is really hard to understand. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't look like it's working out that way. But it's very much because he was taken by God, even in prison, that that he could safely receive the blessing he did. So, and then a last question. So, fourth, we're talking about Dan as one who <laughs> fell away. Uh, do we see patterns in the scripture of one of twelve that falls away? Where? Oh, you talk about that. Where you're ahead of me on this, but I agree with you. Well, you you talk about that pattern, Daniel. No, I'm just saying that, uh, like, I and I actually can't remember. I I want to say that there's an early church father, or perhaps there's something, uh, something else that like says that Judah Judas uh, Iscariot is from the tribe of Dan. Um, you know, so, I don't remember that, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, uh, that may be just information I didn't have. Tell me when you find that citation. Yeah, um, I, uh, it, it sounds does, like something Tertullian would say. Yeah, um, it does sound like something Tertullian would say. But I think there, you know, and then of course in Revelation seven, uh, Dan is omitted, as you <laughs> as you gone. mentioned. Um, do do you think that that means then, or can we find instances of Danites, you know, people from the tribe of Dan? that are faithful throughout scripture? Like, are there, are there instances you can think of where people uh, have been that way? Uh, been, been a blessing, been blessed by God. Yeah. I, I think it's a great question. It was actually one that was on my mind to do research on. I didn't, but here's as close as I came. Um, okay. Simeon who's lost in Israel. Here's a namesake in Simeon and Luke two. And that was why I chose Luke two for the end. Right. Right. Um, And so this sense that God deals with both groups and individuals, and he's not constrained 
by his work with either uh, to affect how he works with one or the other. So I am sure there are wonderful examples of Danites who serve God. Um, yeah, I think probably the most, uh, but uh, it doesn't, I didn't do the research. So tell me, no, no, it's fine. I think the most, uh, you know, obvious example that's like most directly noted is Samson. Samson's from the tribe of Dan. Um, and you mentioned judges and, you know, how Dan yeah, operates itself right. and moves in the North, North kingdom. And here's this kind of mixed picture, perhaps the most mixed picture of a judge in judges of somebody who's used by God and yet deeply, deeply flawed in sexual immorality. And when we turn to the book of Revelation and we see how the churches are condemned, whether literally or metaphorically involved in sexual immorality, idolatry, idol worship, uh, you know, lust for women. And then the way that the 144,000 sealed from every tribe, save Dan, sexual purity, are described is they are male virgins, which has something to say about whether it's symbolic or literal, I think personally, but they're male virgins. They haven't defiled themselves with women and there's no lie found on their lips. So when you think about Samson and here's a, just a, an instance of a Danite, a descendant of Dan, you see him wrapped up in sexual immorality and impurity. And then the Oracle given by Jacob surrounding, he's like a viper. He's like a serpent, et cetera. We see this being played out even in, in his life to some degree with not a full, because he's listed in the, you know, the hall of faith in, uh, yeah, he is 11. So it's not like there's some measure of encouragement. Yeah. It's not like there's this total, like he was just shot through a sin and God discarded him. No, God used him. And in some measure, uh, I mean, I think we're going to meet Samson someday. And yet this seems instructive for us about both, uh, within the covenant community of Israel, and then later within the covenant community of the church, whether, you know, if you conclude Judas, perhaps as a part of that, or what that means for the tribe of Dan, the mention in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, um, that there is a subset that is um, pulled away uh, from, from God and, you know, forsakes their inheritance in the land, yes, in Jesus. Yep. And that's, that's such an important theme, which is sometimes missed. I, I, I just a quick comment, Daniel. Um, and I hope you caught the sermon that I, I made sure to say that, you know, just because you're Daniel, you are not right, from right. the tribe. Of Dan. Not, I'm not from the tribe of Dan. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to throw you under that Danite bus. That's good. Uh, but the, you know, there's two, there's two criticisms that my wife had of the sermon. Uh, there probably were more, but these two I remember. One was I didn't give the text in Judges uh, where Micah and the Levite and the Danites uh, for, you know, end up forsaking the land. That was Judges 17 and 18. The other was, uh, yet I still believe it's true, uh, that I made the comparison and said that Delilah shows up in this Danite story. Um, I may not be correct, uh, but that 100, 1,100 pieces of silver that lead off uh, 17.2 that set up a story of the Danites and Judges um, is is mentioned only half a chapter before uh, when it's 1,100 pieces of silver that are given to Delilah uh, for the turning over Samson, who was a Danite, 
And so there's a lot of connections between these two chapters. And that's one of them, which is very interesting to me. And when you think about Judas, uh, you know, the pieces of silver. Uh, And so I think there's a lot of biblical theological work being done and set up in the actual text, but they are hints more than absolutes. Yeah. 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 So true. Well, Rick, thank you again for preaching. It was a joy to hear it from uh, comfort of my home and it was great to get together and talk about it ahead of time. Uh, we're finishing Genesis this upcoming week with Pastor Nick preaching yeah. on Genesis 50. And then uh, other things coming, both this summer into the fall and then into the winter. Well, I'm, eager to, on, I'm eager to hear the series that you're putting together on Revelation. Yeah, we'll hopefully get there in the new year. Thanks again, Rick. Good to be with you, Dan. Yeah.